Welcome, everyone, to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips, too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast and our Facebook podcast platform. Our listeners on our FM station in New York and our two Philadelphia radio stations. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. We have a great show today. So let's get it started. Welcome everyone to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show and podcast. I am so excited to introduce this guest, bringing international flavors, unique baked goods to the Philadelphia region. It is such an honor to introduce Chef Marty Santos Chapita of Cuquette Bakery, Brazilian Bakehouse. Marty, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So to start off with, before we get into your inspiration and where you learned your craft, why don't you explain to our bakery some of the predominant flavors that you can find in Brazilian baked goods that might be a little traditionally different than French pastries or some of the pastries that we're accustomed to seeing here in Philadelphia? Uh, yeah, so the flavors, uh, the I think the main ingredient and main uh, fruit, I use Ecoclite guava. So it's something very common in Brazil, like where I'm from, Brasilia, you're walking in the middle of the streets and then you just see a tree with guava there. So uh, we use a lot of guava. Uh, and I try to, you know, make as much as much paste as I can with guava because I just love it. But also uh, there's this fruit from the Amazon called cupuaçu. It's from the same uh, cacao family. So I'm trying to, you know, incorporate that flavor into our pastries too. It's a little different, so it's, you know, it, 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 you have to play around with uh, the pastries that are like already different, already, uh, you know, not very familiar to, you know, make something that people are going to be interest in trying well i think if people are like me and they walk in and they see something a little different in the line of baked goods especially everyone's a little reluctant to try foods that may be a little different you know they're like oh you gotta look at it things like that pastry is just never that issue i don't care where the pastry from you got pastry out there there's a little bit of sugar there's some fruit there's some flavor i'm gonna probably go and get that so i know this is gonna be an exciting moment in philadelphia to be able to come in and try your pastries and try your baked goods and experience some of these South American flavors, probably the region in America, maybe outside of India, where we really have the least representation in the Philadelphia area. You know, people that in the Philadelphia area, really there, there's not the, you know, the baked goods and the, and the restaurants around showcasing South America flavors. We have a little bit of Central America represented. So this is really such an exciting thing that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about yeah. how you got started. What was your inspiration? So I, I mean, I always loved uh, to cook. I, I watched, you know, my grandma cooking um, when growing up, and uh, and and that's that's it. That's what I, I I always knew. I wanted to be in the kitchen. I always felt like I belonged there. So. 
you know, after high school, I went to culinary school and I learned and I, you know, I learned everything, <clears throat> a lot of things from my grandma too, worked in a lot of restaurants. And when it was time to, you know, open my own place, I knew that I wanted to bring a little bit of Brazil, especially the pastries where I think it's, you know, there is not a lot of people bringing all that stuff from Brazil to the rest of the world. So uh, my my inspiration was it's it's my family and, you know, my country and the beautiful flavors you can find there. And, you know, it's so, so, it's so nice. Well, and I think it's important to note for our listeners that well, people are going to say, you know, ah, oh, Gene, we have Brazilian steakhouses everywhere. There is a little bit of a difference for what you're doing in the traditional Brazilian steakhouse that is an absolute incredible feast of meats and, and beef. But, you know, you're doing and you're working with flavors that are in pastry and, and you know, guava and, and fruits from South America and, you know, even the chocolate's going to be a little bit different. So, you know, this is really something that's new and unique. When you came to this idea, was it always the bakehouse or the bake shop that you were looking at? Or were you, you know, originally considering a restaurant or, you know, something that was a little bit more or full service? Um, you know, but you ended up separate, you know, really specializing in, in, you know, pastries and, and sweets. Um you know, obviously you have a lot of flavors that you could bring to the table across the board. Why did you decide on pastries? Uh, so in, in school, I really like the precision, you know, of the, the pastries. I like how uh, – I, I love chemistry, and I love how, like, you can we can play with that in pastry and baking and how everything has to be, you know, like, measured and everything has to be, you know – almost perfect so i love that precision and i i think it's it's i can express this that better in pastry and baking and you know i, I love sweets too <laughs> well one of the things that i know about brazilian desserts is you do a a dish i guess the, the american translation of it would be a cake roll or a brazilian cake roll that is just a very thin layer of icing. Um, it, it, you know, it's very unique to Brazil. Can you explain what what a Brazilian cake roll is to our listeners? Because I do know that it's one of your specialties. Yeah, it's how it's actually how I started the business four years ago, uh, just doing cake rolls for farmers markets and pop up markets. So the cake rolls are very thin layers of butter cake. And traditionally filled with uh, guava paste. So that's the flavor you would find in Brazil. They are from the northeast of Brazil, you know, very, very popular there. Uh, but here I try to bring other flavors and try to use flavors from, uh, like, what is in season and from, like, uh, makers that, you know, make this, like, different jam. I would like to put that in the cake roll, too. So I have, like, the birthday cake, for example, or the double chocolate and, uh, like, the seasonal flavors, like blueberry, if it's, like, blueberry season. But, yeah, it's, like, just this thin layer of cake filled with a variety of flavor combinations. Well, two other things that uh, you produce a little bit of it, and certainly it's going to be very different 
than people uh, are accustomed to. But you also do truffles, if I'm correct. Um, there, you know, there is, I guess, the Brasilian name for them is uh, brigadeiros, uh, you know, that are right. a little bit different. That's a, a really difficult process. I mean, you're working in climate control rooms for the most part. Tell us a little bit about your truffles. Yeah, so they are condensed milk-based truffles. So, you know, we cook the condensed milk with uh, uh, cocoa powder and a little bit of butter until you have the truffle texture. And and then you roll into, like, little balls and coat with sprinkles. But I like to, before coating on sprinkles, I like to dip on chocolate so you have the crunchy uh, chocolate shell and then the soft truffle inside and then the nice, uh, chocolate vermicelli sprinkles on the outside. On the outside. <laughs> okay, now I want a few of them. <laughs> One of the other things, I am a huge fan of anything custard or flan, you know, the, the egg dairy mixture. In Brazil, there's a very unique one. Um, could you talk to our listeners a little bit about your flan and, you know, what the, the history of that is out of Brazil and the, and the flavors that go with that. Yeah, so Brazil, like the U.S., is a huge country with a lot of uh, influence. So, you know, everywhere in the world, a lot of immigration. So we get all this culinary influence from everywhere. And the flan, the, we call them changing, it's like a egg custard uh, with coconut because Coconut is the fruit they couldn't find there, or you know they they couldn't find almonds, which is traditionally made with almonds. Almonds, so they found the coconut and they turn into coconut flour, mix into the egg, sugar, and cook just like on the Maria, like with the flan. And the egg, the 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 coconut, it sinks to the bottom of the custard and create this cakey layer, and then so you have these two layers of cake and very like the, the custard the egg custard on top and it's just like so silky and you get the the crunch from the coconut it's really special dessert <laughs> the first time i had it was in disney and many years ago at the disney culinary institute uh and i just kind of fell in love it you know it was a flavor and a texture and the silkiness to it really just you know stole my heart and you know, I also had you know, trace slave chase there, which was really real trace slave chase, not what you get here all the time. And, you know, they were two things that, you know, desserts that I'll never forget to this day. A little bit more to the savory side, one of the specialties that you do, um, and I'm not even going to attempt the name of this. Uh, I always just call it a cheese bread, but it's a Brazilian uh, style cheese bread. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, the pão de queijo. It's a Brazilian staple. You know, like I said before, Brazil is a very big country, and uh, every region is a little bit different from each other. But this particular uh, like snack, like little bread, you would you can find in every household in Brazil. It's it's what like every family have their own recipe. So it's basically tapioca flour and uh, a blend of cheeses and, you know, eggs, milk, oil. And, yeah, and it makes this, you know, beloved little bread. Like, everyone really loves it. 
it, it really is something that you can just sit down and have a piece at night before you go to bed. You can have it early in the day. You can have it yeah, with a it, meal. It's just an outstanding item across the board. And, you know, it gives that richness. It'll actually even go well with a good glass of wine. I mean, it's just a fabulous thing to have. And, you know, I suggest to our listeners go out, you know, locate her and have some of this and you'll find out where we can find your product towards the end of the show. But, you know, really just go out and explore these flavors. One of the things that I really like about you is you're big on sustainability and local products. You like to source everything locally as much as you can. And with some of your products, that must be a little bit hard, but you know, you really do that. So where did this, is this something that came about from, you know, family heritage in, in Brazil or this love of sourcing local and, and being sustainable? Tell us a little bit about that influence. Yeah, so in Brazil, we all have our own little garden in the backyard. <laughs> so it's very easy for us to just, you know, the weather let us do that, to just go there and grab a little, like a few herbs or, you know, you know your butcher, you know, uh, your the stand you go in the farmers market, so it's it's very common to have this practice in Brazil, and I think uh, coming here and meeting a lot. I I started at the farmers market, so meeting a lot of farmers and a lot of makers made me think like, well, I'm coming to this new country and bringing my culture, but I also want to uh, contribute to 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 what what we find here, and it's. It's just fair to, you know, to have, to use as much as I can from the place that is opening, you know, the uh, the doors for me, for for uh for the for this new culture. So that's why I try to use as much as I can, as much product locally sourced as I can. Some things you can't, like you can't not find uh chocolate in the U.S. You you know it, it doesn't grow here or guava, but I make sure to buy the other ingredients always fair trade and it's 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 really important for me it's a practice that i want to you know always and i wanted my business to really take because it, it, it really helps the, the the community and the society as one so i have to ask now that you have your brick and mortar down in these past young and down in that way uh were you part of yesterday's flavors of the avenue yeah, and it was amazing. <laughs> it was so much fun. It's a big crowd. It's a big crowd. Well, congratulations, and thank you for being on our show, because I'm sure that after yesterday you had to be exhausted after Flavors of the Avenue, um, <laughs> and and I'm hoping that many, many, many people stop by and, and really sample your products so they understand that. That is such an incredible festival. Uh, yeah. It really does it bring such a, a, a really large there, group. So it was really nice. Great. Well, now that you have your brick and mortar, so tell us about that. I mean, you actually started that process, you know, when we were still kind of in the grip of COVID and, you know, things were a little bit harder. It had to be a very scary time, you know, considering that you were looking to open up a brick and mortar and and not sure where, you know, we were going in the city with mandates and everything else. What was that experience like? Yeah, we're still not sure about anything, but I had a lot of help a lot of help from uh, business owners that I met here in Philly and 
the community that came and supported me at the farmers market and the pop up market. So it was it was really like a blessing to be here at this moment. Uh it was just uh, it was just, you know, uh everyone helping each other and that's what helps me to help me to get to where I am now to the store. Um, that is really no secret was just was just the community that really supports my business. Well, that's wonderful to hear. We really do have a great, vibrant food scene in Philadelphia, and people always want to lend hand and help each other. So aside from um, Sisterly Love, which is one of our great markets here in the city, where what other markets can people find your products at? Uh, so markets right now, we we are just going to do like a few pop-ups during the year, Maybe, uh, you know, we love to pop up outside uh, Riverworth proper, uh, Market sometimes and at uh, Maniac Farmers Markets too. They were the first, like, the first market we we uh, start operating here in, in Philadelphia. So that's, that's a really special uh, spot for us. Tell our listeners where they can find your business and uh, what your address is down there and, and how they can follow you on social media and, and where they can get much more information about your incredible baked goods. And then I want to come back with one more question. Yeah. So Instagram is the best way to, you know, keep up to with everything we're doing. Uh, Cook Lab Big House. And we're on Espacian from 1647. Uh, Espacian, we, we're open from Thursday to Sunday from 10 to 4. And we can find all of our stuff there. And also on our website, we ship nationwide. Right. You are associated with Gold Belly, so you are shipping nationwide. Um, and that is a wonderful thing that you know, we can, especially at the places where they may not have that Brazilian influence in the country where people can get some of your great pastries and baked goods. So if you had to single out one thing about Brazilian food, that you feel is really important, whether it's flavors or technique, it's really important for our listeners to know. What is the one thing that you would want to communicate to our listeners about Brazilian baked goods, Brazilian cuisine, eating in general? Uh, I think uh, about uh, the the comfort that uh, the food brings to you. I think Brazilian food is a very comforting food. We are baking stews and rice dishes, and our pastries are, you know, like the cheesy bread. So that all, like, brings a lot of comfort. So I think when I'm looking to eat something, that's what I go for, what it brings me comfort. That is absolutely an incredible, great bit of advice is to understand the culture and the people and the comfort food that they're doing, you know, Sadly, and I, I know you know this as well as anybody, so many times we eat for because we're hungry or we eat on the run and we lose that comfort food uh, feeling and, and understanding. So I think that that's a great bit of advice for our listeners to think about the people and think about the comfort food and you know everything goes with that. Thank you so much for being part of Food Farms and Chefs. Everyone, Coquette Bakery or Brazilian Bake Shop on East Passionque, I highly recommend 
you stop by if you're in the area or just driving through Philadelphia, stop in, experience something new. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, let's take a break, and we'll be right back. To become a sponsor of our show and have your business or event promoted on every single podcast platform, two Philadelphia radio stations on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. evening drive time, an FM station in New York, and to the millions of Facebook users worldwide with access to the Facebook mobile app. Send us an email to either foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com or diningonadime at yahoo.com. And we're back. Chef Gene, introduce us to your fabulous guest. Well, if you watch any food television, my next guest really needs no introduction, but it is such an honor to have her with us today. We're going to talk a little bit about what it takes to be a judge at an event like Dish It Up, which is coming up in May here at Lincoln Financial Field, uh, which is an all-women culinary competition. And no better woman to be a judge for an all-female culinary competition than Barbie Marshall, Chef Barbie. You saw her on TV. You probably had her food. Amazing talent. Chef Barbie, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs once again. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you for being here. So right off the bat, just a, a big hello. Everybody knows you from previous interviews. Uh, you know, food TV, uh, just the work that you do in the community and how much fun you are and some of your hopeful new projects that you're going to be working on. But you are one of the big judges for the culinary competition coming up called Dish It Up, which, you know, tickets are available. They're, uh, just simply Google Dish It Up. Um, it is a great event. You've been a judge for a couple of years for this event. Tell us a little bit about what it takes to pick the best savory, the best sweet, you know, the, the best food prepared that day. So we actually have a, um, a, a diagram that we go by that, you know, we can be completely unbiased. Like we'll, we'll start with a dish and go with the flavors. And then at the end of it, we just add up, you know, which of those, dishes came met all of the criteria whether it was you know the ingenuity or the creativity or just the flavors and so we just take the best out of whatever category that they're going for um and it's always come out to to be really fair one of the things and, and as a culinary instructor and a chef that I always found extremely difficult and you had to really work on it. And tell me if you experienced this is when it comes to the actual taste and flavors, putting aside the visual, because I've had food that looks absolutely horrendously put together. But then when I tasted it, it was just, you know, bursts of flavor, bursts of, uh, you know, goodness going off of my mouth. Do you find the same thing on occasion? Yes. And so that's why we also judge based on presentation. So if you do eat with your eyes first, and sometimes something that looks 
completely awful um, will taste absolutely wonderful. And sometimes something that looks absolutely wonderful will taste absolutely awful. Um, right, right. With you. I'm not talking about so good competition. I'm just in general. So Yeah, yeah no. You know, no, that's why it, we it, have to judge on so many different criteria. Well, you have a really good panel of judges. I mean, you have Marilyn Johnson on there. You had Dave Spadaro, obviously, representing the Philadelphia Eagles. But you really have a, a great panel of culinarians. And I'm going to go on the record of saying most of them are women, which I love for this. Uh, women always have a little bit better of a taste than men do. Uh, that's actually a scientific thing. So if anybody wants to get a debate with me, we can talk science on that one. Um, but, you know, you're doing that. So thinking back in years past, I mean, you've judged a couple times, Tell us a couple of your favorite things, and I'm not saying things that won. I'm saying your favorites that you have had through the years. So one of my favorites is something that we can't get again. Um, Bartendrick's Katie Loeb, a lot of people younger than us may not know her or remember her. Um, She actually developed a purple drink for this event. Um, which for years I didn't know it was it was formatted like a Long Island, but it was absolutely delicious, and so that was always my favorite thing. Um, going and, and having at the event one because Katie was making it, and two because the first year that I ever did it, um, Katie and I have been friends for a while, and you know, we were talking and she said, you know, I have this thing to do. We were talking about like when, when we were going to be meeting up next and when I was possibly going to be in Philly. And I said, well, I have this thing I have to do on the same night. So that's not going to work. And it all of a sudden clicked to us that the thing that we both had to do on the same night was women against abuse was, was dish it up. And so it really bonded um, us in a way, knowing that, we were helping and and standing up to abuse and and giving our time that way. So that was always my favorite thing about this show. So for our listeners who don't know, Katie Loeb, who I had the honor of knowing for 20-plus years, uh, who is in the Bartenders Hall of Fame in New Orleans, was maybe the Philadelphia's best mixologist who has an incredible bush or a book published um katie lost a battle of cancer a couple of years back so when barbie first you'd never be able to get that again uh, but it's with great sadness as soon as you said that it brought tears to my eyes that uh the person responsible for that is no longer with us and uh her legacy in the city goes on and on and on um you know one it of the really saddest days in, in the industry for me was, uh, you know, when she passed. And um, I still celebrate her birthday every year uh, with one of her cocktails out of the book. Just a great, great force. Um, so, And her book is still available. Yes, yes, her book is still available. You get it on Amazon, I think, Amazon. Um, and uh, I I'm actually in her book. Uh, yes, you are. Absolutely, you are. So I, I, uh, 
I, I started in the catering industry with her many years ago. We worked together for several different caterers, and uh, she started doing some consulting with me. So, But we digress on a very sad topic about an incredible human being. Dish It Up obviously has a great deal of meaning to you. It's a big significance to you. Um, it is exactly that. The benefit to women uh, who have gone through abuse or abusive relationships. Um, the statistics that I threw out last week, one in four women experience intimate partner abuse. That is just mind-boggling. So this event directly benefits helping those women you know, get the help that they need get the resources that they need and do things. How did you get involved? Um, I am 25% of all women. And I decided after it was time for me to get away and um, heal that the, the best way to pay it forward would be to remember that 25% of all women under no fault of their own, have found themselves abused by an intimate partner. Well, first and foremost, thank you for your bravery and, and your honesty and sharing that with us. You know, very, very touching. And, and you know, I, I I don't know, and I, I'm never going to ask, but I would think that a lot of the people involved in Dish It Up have this similar stories uh, by nature. It's, it's a, you know, something that draws them. There is well, a feeling at that event that's so unique. But um, when some people are also involved, we often forget about the secondary victims of abuse, that the children of abuse victims who are also um, in their own way abused, but maybe not the same way as, as, as someone um, in a DV situation. And you find chefs like Gordon Ramsay, whose mother was, a victim of domestic violence that always supports things like this also. So I think that um, when you have something, uh, an abuse with such high numbers, like 25% of all women are victims of abuse and, or, or DV, that, you know, those secondary people who may not have been old enough to stand up then are old enough to stand up now and say, you know, at least I can help this way. So true. And and that's one of the things that makes this event so special is the feeling that you're talking about right now. There's so many people there that want to stand up. I mean, so our the honorary, you know, co chairs and, and two of the prominent figures there that evening, you know, Troy Vincent, you know, an amazing football player, you know, future Hall of Famer, be argued, you know, Eagles Hall of Fame. He was one of those children that you talked about. His mm-hmm. wonderful wife was a victim also, obviously, before Troy, but a victim also. You know, so, you know, two people right there and both of them giving back to, you know, a great cause because they know the devastating effects. So, you know, it, it really is things. If you can paint a picture of the event for our listeners, because the event has a lot of emotion, but a lot of great fun, a lot of energy. Get a little picture of what our guests would experience that day. 
So this is actually the first time that the event is going to be at the link. Um, yes. And I have I have taken part of some events at the link, so I, um, I imagine that there um, is with 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 a few differences, but. Uh, guests will be able to sample the same um, the same dishes that the judges will be the judges will be judging um, from the chefs, and we go in first and taste everything, and then everyone else comes in. Um, I'm not sure if they do have a uh, cocktail or 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 the same as when Katie was doing it, but. Um, if they do, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure who the bartender is yet or the mixologist is. So I'm sure there will be some kind of spirits to go along with it to, to make it a little bit lighter of an event. Um, we do hear some stories of survival. Um, and it, it is a very, it's not a very um, heavy, heavy, heavy event. Um, I feel like our conversation right now might be heavier than the event, but it is definitely for an amazing cause. So, you know, it's 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 a way to, you know, celebrate women and and celebrate the strength of women. Um and it in a way that doesn't also take away the fact that D V has no boundaries. Like it can affect anyone. Um but women against abuse in Philly is tailored to women, so this is their specific project. Um, and the stories that they that they have helped and the services that they provide are a hundred percent needed. So to get out and have you know the chefs, the the the, the women chefs of Philly get together and say, okay, let's get on board for you know this annual fundraiser for this cause is amazing for them to do, um, whether they're victims or not. And anyone is welcome. Like you don't have to be a a victim of D V to support D V victims. Absolutely. It's it's a great night out. As I said last week, you know, being an old head I feel a little discriminated against because young professional ticket prices are just incredibly reasonable. So, you know, for those looking for a night out in Philadelphia, this is really a great event to get to and, you know, have incredible food, wonderful drinks, meet chefs, you know, like they're just wandering around or they're at their tables. You get to meet some of the finest, you know, chefs in the region and go through that. Uh, Just an incredible evening with, you know, Chefs and 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 people in the industry, as well as making a difference and a huge difference that it is. So, you know what a, what a wonderful, great, uh, great way. Who are you excited? Who are you excited to see this year? I mean, obviously you saw the lineup. You saw some of the chefs that are coming. Is there anybody in there that kind of stands out and says, "Well, you know, I'm interested in trying their food. Uh, I haven't had an opportunity yet. I'm looking forward to." It. Is there anybody? on that list that, that stands out for you? Um, I am excited for Julie Klein because she's a friend of mine. Um, 
I've, I've known her from a while back. I'm excited for Maurice Spector. She is a um, pastry chef at Walnut Hill College. Um, and I just really have a good time with her. She's also a La Dame Descoffier. Um, and I've never had anything that wasn't delicious. I'm excited to see Kiki, who is judging along with me and not actually competing. Yeah. Um, for mostly because last year, the event, because of COVID, was um, done virtually. And so, uh, you know, I, I kind of was not I, – I was a chef uh, participant last year on the virtual. Right. And Kiki um, did some recipes and just was an amazing participant. So for her to come back this year as a judge, it's just really exciting to, to like – see her after, you know, not being able to see anyone for the last two years and for it to come back and be at the link. So I'm excited for all of it. Can I say that? I'm just excited for all of it (laughs) and all of them. Before we start to close out here, what's new with Barbie Marshall? Well, you are like one of the most exciting people that in the culinary world. I, I told you before the guests come on, my two daughters, Casey and Haley, are like huge Barbie Marshall fans. What's new in Barbie Marshall world? What can we look forward to or you know, what's what's happening um in your world? Well, I am still recovering from COVID, so <sighs> there's a lot going on in my world. It's been two years of not having taste or smell, which I'm still cooking. It's a lot of muscle memory and just a, a lot of doctor visits and, and studying, like, what goes on. And I know you're thinking, how can you judge? It's I've had to learn how to taste and smell in a completely different way now. So when I tell you, like, it's got to be fair, it's one of those those things that a lot of people don't know about me in the last two years, and I've become more open to telling them and sharing. Yeah. If anybody can do the task that's ahead. It is you. Anybody who watched you on TV knows your energy, your dedication, your drive. You are your own hardest critic. So, you know, everybody else is going to be fine. So, you know, um, what you're doing. Anything else? Uh, I know that there was talk at one point in time, you know, about uh, starting to put some of your incredible craft on down on paper again and doing some things like that. Anything that uh, you know, we could tempt our listeners with? I actually spoke with someone about that this morning, and I uh, I very much am uh, thinking that very soon I need to write my culinary story on paper, and I have the perfect photographer for capturing all of my food when that goes into that book. You might know her. I think you do. I think you do. I know who that is. It's our own Amherst Pollock, uh, you know, an incredible food photographer, and she's going to be able to capture an amazing story because you are nothing short of amazing in what you do, in what you have done, in what you have overcome. You do that. Tell our listeners where they can follow you, where they can find out more information, and uh, just you know where to follow you on social media. On social media, I'm either Barbie Marshall or Chef Barbie Marshall on Facebook, Instagram. Um, and Twitter, and um, don't forget on Dish It Up, you can you can find my story there on their website, womenagainstabuse.org. 
Thank you, Chef, so much for being with us. Thank you for sharing your personal story, some of the things that you have overcome, which certainly gives inspiration to so many. Love talking to you. Love having you on our show. I'm sure we will be back with you very soon. And obviously, we get to see you with Dish It Up. Thank you we'll so much you for being Food Farms and Chefs. Absolutely. We, we'll share a cocktail. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Chef. Thank you, Chef. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Tune in to Dining on a Dime to hear from Gene Blum, our chef, educator, consultant, and historian. You can find him across social media at ibfoodie2 or Gene Blum at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. And you can also tune in to listen to Amaris Pollock and find her across social media at arpollockus at gmail.com. And we're back. Chef Gene, introduce us to your fabulous guest. Well, it's always wonderful to have a friend and a colleague on uh, to talk food and somebody I know has a love of food like so few do. At this point in time, let me introduce Rashana Myers of Olive Lucy, as well as a great events professional and friend. Roshana, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Hi, Jean. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm really thrilled and excited to be here. Well, thank you, because I know this happens to be a little bit of a busy week for you. You have a, a little something happening this weekend um, coming up. So, Mazel Tov. Uh, thank you. Know, you. You, have, you have a bit for the host this weekend. So, yep. you know, what a wonderful, wonderful thing going on there. So... Olive Lucy, um, which I incorrectly thought was a franchise, and I found out it, it's not, and that makes it even, you know, for me, even better uh, of a world. You ventured into this coming out of the events world. I had met you when you were doing planning, and, and you always had a great deal of love for food. Uh, what made you get into, you know, the Olive Lucy world? Uh, I uh, started with Olive Lucy um, in, I guess it was officially 2016. Um, it was around that time I was um, retiring out of the meetings and events industry. And yes, we go back a long ways, Jean. I remember when. Um, I have always had a passion for food, um, even long before meetings and events. Um, my my days of food um, go back to when I was in grade school and I would sit around and watch Julia Childs on the TV, having no idea what she was actually doing, um, but just loved it. Um, so it was great. But in 2016, when I um, was finally retiring out of meetings and events, my husband's best friend's father, who had started Olive Lucy in actually 2013, so the store is been around for a while, um, needed some help running his shop. And I was looking for something to do. And I figured this would be a good way to uh, keep myself busy, keep myself occupied, uh, and help him out in a time when he needed it. So um, that's how I got started in the shop. One of the things that are most important in cooking, obviously, is great ingredients and a great foundation and mm -hmm. high quality oils, vinegars, seasoning, spices, things like that are 
really the start of all that. You know, skimping on the quality of your olive oil, um, you know, skimping on the quality of a, a good age balsamic, whatever you're doing, you know, is never going to give you the, the outcome that you want. So tell our listeners some of the common misconceptions about quality olive oil, quality flavors that you find in oils and vinegars, some of the things that you come across in your day-to-day that people believe that are just not true. Oh, I know, Gene. That's that's something we struggle with daily uh, in our industry. Um, And you hit one of the common common misconceptions uh, right, nail right on the head. Um, Most people think that you can't cook with good extra virgin olive oil or you can't use our flavored olive oils because they're only for drizzling. Um, They're only for, you know, finishing or salad dressings. And it's just not true. Olive oil, extra virgin olive oil is one of the oldest oils that, you know, society has cooked with for millennia. I mean, some of the oldest olive trees that are still producing fruit in um, the Middle East and uh, some of the other places that, you know, started with olives have been using olive oil. It's the only oil they've ever used. Um, we encourage our customers to cook with extra virgin olive oil um, and especially high quality extra virgin olive oil um, and, and use it for daily cooking. Uh, it, it, the, one of the biggest reasons why people don't is there's this conception out there that Extra virgin olive oil, olive oil in general, has a low smoke point. Um, Yes, it is lower than some of the other oils, uh, some of the refined oils that are out there, but um, a lot of uh, scientific studies have been done throughout the world um, to let chefs and home cooks and everybody in the industry know that you can take your olive oil uh, up to 425, 450. You can use it. You can fry with it. You can cook with it. Um, you know, if you're going above that temperature, okay, you might want to consider another oil. But for most home cooks, you can cook with extra virgin olive oil and have no trouble at all. Well, I'm good to know. I'm very happy to know that science has backed up what I do because I cook with it all the time. And, you know, it's kind of like to me, it's computer, you know, garbage in, garbage out, quality in, quality out. You know, you start with quality and you're going to get a better flavor overall. And to me, that's very important with olive oil. Why would I want to start with something of a lesser flavor, lesser quality? You know that. So tell us a little bit about the product line. What do you carry? So at our shop, we carry about 10 to 12 seasonally, harvest seasonally, extra virgin olive oils in the shop. They range in intensity from a mild, all the way up to an extremely robust. Um, And when I say seasonal, we have two harvests. Uh, We have the Northern Hemisphere harvest, which happens in October, November. And then we have a spring harvest. Well, it's our spring, but it's actually the Southern Hemisphere fall harvest in May. Um, And, you know, that's really what we love to promote in our store because it's good quality extra virgin olive oil. Uh, in addition, we have some fun flavored olive oils, and you'll notice I called them flavored olive oils, not extra virgin olive oils, because once you add another substance, it is only considered an olive oil. Um, and again, we have herbed, citrus, uh, spicy, um, you know, all the different flavors of the rainbow and great quality ingredients that you can cook with, that you can use on salads, you can use raw, you can use for dipping, whatever your heart desires. 
And we also have our balsamic vinegars. Uh, we carry uh, a standard 18-year-age dark balsamic and an, uh, condimento and a aged white, which is 12 years. And then we also have our flavored as well, balsamics, white and dark. Um, they're just, they're fabulous. They're fun to cook with. Again, fun for dipping, fun for making marinades and dressings. And they'll just add a little flavor to any dish you're making. Uh, in addition to that, we do have a gourmet pantry of seasoning, spices, um, pastas, um, chocolates, uh, honeys, teas, you name it. So we're almost like becoming a little gourmet grocery store, uh, dry goods grocery store. So it, it's fun, fun to come to the shop. Well, I've purchased several of your oils at farmer's markets and uh, vinegars as well. Uh, I have a, a fig balsamic that I swear by um, just with fresh mozzarella. There's really not much that's better. Um, I, I've mm -hmm. had chocolate balsamic. I've had, you know, I, I have a pantry, I think, Sue, which you know, would probably say is a little bit excessive. I think I probably have <laughs> 15 or 18 different uh, olive oils in there, and, and then you know, another dozen vinegars as well. Um, mm -hmm. And they all have a purpose, and they all have a use, and you know, mm -hmm. they they're, they all blend, you know add something. And you know, nothing like your selection. I mean, literally to visit when you are set up at a farmer's market and to buy fresh produce and then one of your oils and one of your vinegars or a couple of your oils, you know, whatever, and then take that home and just some great fresh tomatoes with a little bit of, you know, olive oil and balsamic and, you know, maybe a little chopped up. Uh, it's like mm -hmm. living large. I mean, this is what people in many parts of the world have been doing their entire life and eating so when I get into an olive lucy or experience an olive lucy and the flavors of your oils and your vinegars, to me, it's taking me back, you know, a hundred years into, you know, eating the way that, you know, the Italians, the Spanish, the Portuguese, you know, people in the Middle East, people throughout the world have eaten fresh ingredients with a little bit of oil, a little bit of grape vinegar. Um, so yeah. I, I hope that people understand that about your store. Yes, absolutely. It's a great way to bring tastes from all over the world into your kitchen. Uh, we have on our website and in our store, we have recipe cards that, and recipes and recipe cards that you can look online or take with you to, so you can learn how to use the products that we sell. Um, and it's, you know, we, we love experimenting with cuisine because, you know, like the other night, last night, was it last night? Yeah, last night I made a, a um, almost a, a version of a chimichurri sauce. Um, and I used cilantro and lime and um, roasted garlic and tomatillos and roasted poblano pepper. I threw them in the blender with our cilantro and roasted onion olive oil and made, so made, made a sauce for our steak. It was phenomenal. It's delicious. Um, and we can take our – another recipe that I just put up uh, the other day was a, a, a coleslaw. Um, you know, just make a fresh coleslaw mix, a little bit of mayo, our tarragon vinegar, salt, celery seed, and you're good to go. Simple, not even complicated, but it's just there. And we love it. And they're great ingredients. We say our tagline on our website is great meals start with great ingredients. And that's what we have. It's absolutely the truth. It, 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 that is really as simple as it gets. Yeah. Tell us some other uh, you know, basic 
misconceptions that people may have. I, I mentioned one earlier, people, and they go in the supermarket, they oh, I'm eating healthy, I'm going to buy white olive oil. I'm like, well, that refers to the color of the olive oil. It has nothing to do with, you know, calorie content or things like that. So, you know, what are some of the things that when people come in that you're able to educate them? Because you are an educator. You're teaching yes. people. Yes, we do educate people, and we do. So, when people come in and tell me they buy light olive oil, the olive oil at the grocery store, I explain to them that light olive oil, as you mentioned, is just light in color. Um, it is a highly refined pro- product, and you're going to pay for pay about the same as you would for the extra virgin olive oil. And it's light in taste, not light in calories. All olive oils have the same calorie content and most of the same fat content. It's not they're not re- it's not a reduction. It's something, you know, the agencies came up with, your marketing agencies came up to sell more something. Uh to sell more olive oil, refined olive oil. Um the other common thing that we educate people on and I'm not here to bash anybody's product, but when you go to the grocery store and you buy an olive oil off the shelf and it says it's a product of Italy, um but it's not a single varietal olive olive oil. So it's not like an Arbequina or which is a type of olive or um, a, a Corvincosa, which is another type of olive. Um, I, in, I advise people to look on the back of the bottle and see where the olives came from. Um, are they single sourced? Are they from all over a region and then shipped to Italy and pressed? Not that it's bad olive oil, but just know that those olives have been in transport and they may not be as fresh as something, uh, as a a product like that you would find in our store where harvest to press three to four hours. They literally are harvested off the tree. They go to the mill and then, you know, they get pressed, you know, they get um, pressed for the olive juice and then turned into olive oil. So we have really, truly some of the freshest product out there uh, outside of somebody who's pressing their own oil. And selling it. I'm going to probably get a little hate mail for saying this, but just because it comes from Italy does not mean it's great olive oil. Many of the best olive oils in the world come from Spain as well mm-hmm. and other regions of the world. So, you know, don't just associate, well, it's Italian olive oil, so it's going to be great. Uh, you know, I've had some really amazing olive perfect. oils from Italy. But just a side fact, somewhere between 43 and 45% of the world's olive production comes from Spain. So, you know, they do, they're one of the biggest producers of olives for table eating and for table olives and for olive oil. So Spain is one of the largest producers. And then there's olives that, there's olive production all over the world. We have olive oils in our shop from Spain, Portugal, Greece, Italy. Uh, France produces olive oil. Uh, you know, most of the countries in the Middle East produce, um, you know, olive oil. Uh, we have olive oils from Chile, South America, South Africa, Peru. Brazil's climbing on the production levels. So, you know, it, it we are a country that, you know, in sort of embraced Italian olive oil. Um, but you can find amazing olive oils from all over the world. So where can people find your location? Uh, where can people find you, farmers markets, which what do you frequent? Or how can people get in touch with you and follow you on social media? Sure. Uh, our shop, Olive Lucy, is located in the heart of Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. Our address is 301 Leadham Street, Jenkintown, PA. Uh, we are open Tuesday through Saturday. 
our hours on our website, and our website is olive-lucy.com. You can also follow us on our social media channels, mostly Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we're Olive Lucy uh, PA on Facebook and Ol Olive Lucy EVOO on Instagram. Um, and we post fairly regularly. Uh, you can also find us at our farmer's markets, and our season is starting in May. Uh, our first, first kickoff date is at the Glenside Farmer's Market. Um, that starts the first weekend in May for us. Uh, and that's at the Glenside train station. And then our other market that we frequently visit is the Horsham Farmers Market. And our preview day for that is May 15th. And then we start up officially in the second week of June. Well, thank you so much. Again, I'll Lucy, the base for your cooking. As summertime comes, fresh produce, out on the grill, marinades, everything that you're going to be doing, you know, start with high-quality products. All Lucy is the place to find them. Rashana, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Have a fabulous myth for this week. Mazel tov. Congratulations. Uh, thank yes, you so much. I guess I am getting old because I remember <laughs> when this wasn't even a discussion. So you know, <laughs> That's right. You've known me that long, Jane. <laughs> I, I have. Yes, I have. Um, thank you. You know, obviously give my best. Sue sends her best. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you. PhillyRestaurantReviews.com for all information about the show. ARPolicus at gmail.com or FoodFarmsAndChefs at yahoo.com to be a sponsor or a guest on the show. Chef Gene. You can find me across social media at IBFoodie or at GeneBlom, or you can email me directly at IBFoodie, the number two at yahoo.com. That's IBFoodie2 at yahoo.com. Have an incredible week, everyone. Don't forget to eat well. We'll see you next week.